Ferrari, what are you doing? Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome back to F1 in Review, episode 22. I'm Tristan Fancourt and I'm joined by Angus Gallagher. You will note that it is me doing the introduction and not Tom. Tom is currently basking himself in Barcelona, of all places. Lucky old Tom. So you've got Angus and me to guide you through for the next hour to discuss what was quite an interesting French Grand Prix. I would say we had quite a lot of things going on. However, the big focus, I think, from many people, and particularly the Tifosi back in Italy, was Ferrari. Ferrari, what are you doing? Is the only way we could express ourselves politely in a radio-friendly format, when you say, Angus. The... The words being thrown around on social media, Twitter and, and such like, seem to be a little bit stronger. And I think it all was culminated with that savage shot on the, um, on the TV of a poor Ferrari fan sort of getting angry and weeping into his hands whilst the Mercedes fan next to him was, was laughing and giggling um, at, at his friends, I think, rather than the, 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 the crash that, that occurred, um, in which Charles Leclerc was leading the race and, well, just dropped the car into the, into the barrier, and that was it. Which is a real shame, because if you go back a, a, an episode or, or two episodes, we posed another question on this podcast, which was, is the pendulum of Formula One swinging in the direction of Ferrari, Angus, I know what you said then, but what would you say now? It's a such a weird one because I think your intro saying Ferrari, what are you doing, sums it up. Because the thing is, the pendulum I think is arguably still with them because their pace advantage. I mean, we saw this weekend they are the fastest car in Formula One right now. Carlos Sainz came through the field from the back of the grid because of his engine penalty. He came through with ease, frankly. It was really, really simple. And he was up to fifth or sixth in no time at all. Leclerc was being pressured by Verstappen, of course, but he was holding himself pretty strong at the front of the field. He like You felt that even if he had had to pit in a few laps after, after, after when he crashed, he would have come out behind Verstappen, yeah, because of the undercut, but you felt he would have had the tyre life and the pace advantage to get back past him. So... They have the fastest car, and I think the next race as well, we'll look, we'll look towards Hungary later, but it looks like it'll suit them because, you know, twisty track, less straight, so less chance for Red Bull to take advantage of their straight line speed advantage. But when you have a team that's 
shooting <laughs> shooting yourself in the foot so mm-hmm. so readily. I mean, the fact that we presumed at first that um, Charles Leclerc's crash was a mechanical fault, and then we hear later on he's just binned it. He's yeah. binned it himself. He's made the mistake, which like probably the first time this season that he's let the team down instead of vice versa but yeah just another way for them to or for him to find a way to mess something up the strategy on the radio between Ferrari and the engineers and science oh my goodness where do we start mid 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 overtake mid corner <laughs> he was literally and someone found online the um because with these radio messages it sometimes is delayed somebody found online he literally got the message through as he was like right up behind Perez and about to go alongside him. So they literally were talking to him mid-overtake, just as the pit lane entrance is like 100 metres away as well. And he's probably just like maybe on the road if you're like driving and then you're trying to concentrate and your mate next to you, or the the passenger next to you is trying to talk and you're just like, no, 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 let me concentrate. That was a similar vibe. It was just, (laughs) Carlos was just like, no, not now, not now, not now. Um, And yeah, what's... Like they are the pendulum's with them, I think, still because they had the pace advantage, like I said. But in a race where they should have got a one two, realistically, they come away with just eleven points and Red Bull have got thirty seven. I think that, that says it all really. Um so theoretically the pendulum's with them, but they just man, they find ways just to just to not take advantage. It's quite incredible at this point. Yeah, they, I mean, Ferrari certainly, I think, has, has perfected the art in in losing championships. Really, since two thousand and ten, they've they've been getting very, very good at at being in their own world. I think, and not considering maybe the best way to actually take some serious points. And I mean, Carlos Sainz is a is a completely different race, I think, to Charles Leclerc. And I'm sure we'll come back to him. I know we'll come back to him very, very soon. But for me, one of the the things that I came away with with from this race was yet another feeling that Charles, well, being this prodigy driver that's incredibly fast, but just isn't ready, isn't there to take the pressure yet. Perhaps he dropped, he dropped the car into the, into the barriers on lap 18, which isn't very long into the race. And yes, by this point, his tires, he started on the mediums, his tires after 18 laps and pushing quite hard to get away from Max Verstappen, who was you know bearing down on him. You know, had been had taken a beating, but with the kind of lead that he managed to the managed to pull away, you know, he 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 said on Sky Sports that it was just you know his mistake. It was entirely his own fault, and this isn't the first time he's done it. Let's face it, we Charles has a has a history of of, of these problems, you know, dating back through through his he's a bad luck at places like Monaco, and. He said afterwards that if if Ferrari lose the championship by thirty seven points, then he will know why they lost, and it's a real shame because he has had these moments of of well, I would say brilliance when he's been able to to take the pressure and and keep pulling the car away into into you know and even just going back two weeks to the last Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring. You know, he was basically nursing this car home and, and holding up to the pressure. So on one hand, we have that Charles Leclerc, the, the Leclerc, which you look at and think, wow, you rival Max Verstappen, you rival, you know, Lewis Hamilton, you rival every other driver who we would say is at the pinnacle of their talent. I mean, even George Russell, Lando Norris, you know, these are fantastic drivers. And then suddenly 
we get this Charles Leclerc. Leclerc that on lap 18, without Red Bull behind him, because by this point on lap 18, Red Bull had pitted Max Verstappen. So that he didn't even have Verstappen behind him, pressurising him into making a mistake. He did this all on his own. And when you see that, it makes you wonder whether or not Leclerc is in a place where he can cut it. Because it's one thing, right? Having a, a team that's letting you down because the mechanical failures or poor pit stops and yes, even bad strategy. But to counter that, you also have to make sure that you're on it every weekend. And you know, uh, the inconsistency from Ferrari is at this point, I think, looking like inconsistency from the team management perspective, but also, and I hate to say it because I'm a big Charles fan, inconsistency perhaps from their number one driver. Yeah, it's... Oh, the thing is, with I'm with Leclerc, he's like... he's, he's I don't want to say he's an enigma, but it's been clear for many years he's been, like, so quick. Like, we talk about... We maybe talk about Verstappen, or people do talk about Verstappen as generational. And I think that's that's fair because he's come into the sport at 17. He's been so good from an early age. He's breaking all sorts of records. But Leclerc as well, we forget, came in at the age of like 20 into that mm-hmm. Sauber. He, is the, he was, I think, the youngest driver to ever drive for Ferrari in Formula 1 history. Because don't, don't forget, he had one year with Sauber and then straight away Ferrari promoted him. Yeah. Like, that's how good he was. And then all the times where, I mean, he basically not wiped the floor with, but he pretty convincingly beat Vettel especially in that second year a four-time world champion and I'd have to agree with this this thing of like making mistakes and crashing it it is it has crept into him but I think the previous couple of years we saw it more but then if you remember that for especially that Ferrari in 2020 absolute dog like sixth fastest car Mm, some of the results he was getting he got a couple of podiums in that year and you could maybe excuse the fact that from his point of view basically the car is so poor that he has to wring it, wring its neck effectively, push it to the absolute limit. And he did that really, really well. And when it paid off, it paid off handsomely. Um, I think as well of that, was it Silverstone last year when Verstappen and Hamilton crashed and Leclerc was like genuinely in contention for victory despite having like the third fastest car on the grid. That's an example of him like being just super rapid and just getting the absolute most out of a car because he's that good. And you see, even this year, I mean what is it, seven pole positions so far this year out of 12 races. That's not to be sniffed at. He's a a phenomenally quick driver. But when you have a record at the moment, as he does, of 16 pole positions, but only five wins, that really does like put into perspective some of the times. I mean, there are mitigating circumstances. Yes, things have gone wrong. For example, like that pole in Monaco where he crashed and then couldn't start the race. But even this year, seven poles, three wins. That's not a brilliant record of conversion. And whilst you could maybe say cutting some slack because this mistake in France was his first... Well, actually, the same mistake. There's the one in Imola where he spun trying to chase down the Red Bull. Yep. Um, so maybe the second mistake. But this, like, in terms of mistakes, this is a big one. Crashing out, losing 25 points, a big, big one. And you may think, is he is he ready for the championship? I think he's like... You get, I never really subscribe to the view that someone's ready to fight for the championship because you kind of, with the way, I guess, life and, the, and especially Formula 1 is, you have to take the opportunity when it's there. 
Like Verstappen, last year, would you have said he was ready to win the championship? Well, you could say yes, but he was in a car which had the possibility to win the championship. And when the chance came his way, he took it in the end. So I think it's the same would apply to Leclerc. But he does need to... I think, to be fair, his his brutal honesty is reassuring. To be so honest in public that he's made a mistake. I can think of lots of people who would not even try and hide it, but wouldn't necessarily be as honest as he is. And I think that's refreshing. But, yeah, I mean, if the, the short, the hard and fast, as he said himself, is if he's going to win the championship this season, he's going to have to change this, like, now. It's going to have to, the change is going to have to come about now. But long term, I think there is there is still, like, a, there's still, you, you can't not see him turning, the, turning those mistakes into more... Um, like more concrete performances and basically admitting those mistakes. There's a quote which I heard some years ago, which used which was used to describe Roman Grosjean. Don't know if you remember that year where Grosjean basically crashed on the first lap every single every single race, but all the way back. And and he was he was clearly rapid, but he just he was just terrible in wheel to wheel contact. And the phrase I heard was, "You can't make a consistent driver fast, but you can make a fast driver consistent." Now I didn't work out with Grosjean too well, admittedly, but. If there's anyone who's a fast driver, it's Charles Leclerc. So if they can hone that consistency and cut out those mistakes, then there is a serious, serious force to be reckoned with there. But it may still take time. But I think it's like it's a possibility still that that can be resolved for sure. Yeah, and to to be you know honest, we know that Leclerc has had problems with with his ability to cope with pressure, and he is getting coached at the moment for by a Jock Clear who has worked with with Ferrari but you know he's also worked with other people like uh, Carlos Sainz um and and has been brought on by Ferrari basically to to help Charles get up to speed and be able to cope with the pressure in a in a new way because there is certainly another level to the Formula 1 drivers once they are at the championship fighting stage and many drivers don't like it and do leave the sport Nico Rosberg for example as much as we joke and laugh about him who by the way he was hilarious during this weekend um he he was called in um to to commentate um and he had behind him this big canvas of him in a formula 1 car um, but he was. We were told that he was on holiday. So I like the idea that Rosberg takes this little, this canvas and his artwork of him everywhere he goes, and sort of you know when he goes into this Airbnb, he's like, yeah, can you just put the canvas of me up there, please, um, so I can look at myself. But yeah, Nico Rosberg, as much as we joke about him, uh, he one of the reasons he said that he left Formula One after he beat Lewis Hamilton was because he didn't like the sort of person he became and and didn't like the fact that he was having to put in this massive amount of effort and basically get to this new level to try and beat this individual you know you never know what that kind of pressure that kind of well that determination for for victory is going to lead you to and and i think it brings out the nasty side in people it really does we know it brings out the nasty side and hamilton and rosberg's relationship has never survived I'm actually quite surprised, Angus, I'm honest, that the Hamilton and, and Verstappen are, you know, pretty amicable together because last season was nasty. Um, yeah, it was go, intense. Yeah, really, really intense. Go listen back to us um, commentating over it if you fancy, 
you know, <laughs> reliving that particular stress. So <laughs> Charles Leclerc, he, he is having to get himself up to a, a new level. And to some extent, this is a weird time because Leclerc, Verstappen, Norris, Russell, all those top drivers, they're all mates. They 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 uh, all share private jets, for example. Max Verstappen has his own private jet. They all get onto it and they call it Air Force Max. So they they are. It's not just he put in, yeah, Budum. <laughs> but they it's, they do they and they're all mates and they like Carlos Sainz and um, Lando Norris go golfing together. Norris was with um, with Max and um, you know and this weekend and things like that. So they're all mates. They all know each other. They're all living in Monaco, and so I think Leclerc is hasn't necessarily got that massive pressure on him to to step up to the next level that you need to be to to beat someone like max you know to beat someone like lewis hamilton that consistent driver and max does brilliantly coping with pressure especially in a difficult car so i wonder whether or not at this stage leclerc has to kind of reevaluate himself as a driver and and try and coach himself to be into that next level that I suppose bringing a bit of a more of an aggressive nasty side out and, and sort of split the racing him from you know the casual Leclerc so he can be you know get to this stage where he can win you know I disagree Angus I do think you do have to you know elevate yourself to a new level to to win a you know the world championship you don't do it from just you know being sometimes Mr. Nice Guy and you know, perhaps this is the cause of the mistakes. Often it's self-confidence. And while self-confidence often comes from an ignorance or an arrogance, um, a happy combination of the two, if you like, ignorant from the fact that you might not be the best and arrogance thinking you are. So I, I guess the last question, Angus, you know, is given the driver's championship now with Leclerc on 170 points, Max Verstappen on 233, that's a, that's a deficit of 63 points Sergio Perez is only seven points behind Leclerc you know he's 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 basically now I think fighting between Leclerc and Perez is Max now almost the default number one because we are well we're one race off halfway through this season but basically is it over oh I'd love to say it's not but I don't know you know this reminds me of it was whenever Whenever in the past few years you had a situation where Hamilton would be top of the championship and he'd be about this type of margin mm. ahead in the championship, you'd go, well, with 10 races to go, is the championship over? <laughs> and my initial thought my initial thought would be, well, because it's Hamilton at the top, then yeah, probably, because he won't give up that kind of lead. And I get, I get this similar aura from Verstappen. I think that, and I've made this point before about the impact of becoming world champion once can have on a driver. I remember I said seeing it with Sebastian Vettel back in the day when he won his first world championship, he just cleared that hurdle and became unstoppable. I think Verstappen is showing the similar trait. He's won that first world title and he's a missed himself. He doesn't, he's not bothered if he wins. He's won one. He doesn't care about how many more he gets. He just, he'll keep racing for as long as it interests him. And then, and he enjoys the environment he works in anyway, but when he wants to stop, he'll just stop. But, you can just tell he's won that first and he just you sense a greater maturity you sense that he doesn't 
go for lunges or overtakes when he doesn't need to anymore. He lets he almost maybe because last year he felt he was trying to prove a point against a seven-time world champion. He went for things more and was more assertive and aggressive. Whilst this year, it seems that he's more relaxed about things. He just lets things come to him more. He doesn't like in in that first 10 15 laps he could have easily um like worn out the tires more trying to go for an overtake on leclerc but after about 10 laps he wasn't getting past so he kind of just held back a little bit whether that was the effects of the dirty air it might have been but you sense just you know he sort of he held back and was ready to go again later on in the race and then lo and behold his main rival under pressure um of trying to increase a, more of a gap because of the undercut his rival bins it in the wall so to answer the question, it's I you know it's never over until it's over, as the old saying goes. But at the same time, Verstappen just has this aura that makes you think he's not going to give up a sixty-three point lead. Surely, surely not. I mean, he's just got he's got the commanding lead. He's got the cool head on the shoulders, and even if he doesn't have the fastest car, like he just seems so in control, mate. He just he's just in control. The odd track is going to suit suit Red Bull over the reigning 10 races, you've got to admit. And I think as well the advantage he's got is that the stronger Mercedes get, the better it is for Verstappen, I think. Because it means that there is more of a fight for the podium places, which gives more variables in terms of, you know, a Mercedes finishing ahead of a Ferrari or or whatever like that, or vice versa. Um, so it's looking pretty good for Verstappen. But I guess you never know until... It truly is over, but and I don't want to maybe call it until maybe four or five races to go. But it's looking pretty good for him. And Ferrari need to get their act together as well. Let's be real; they need to they need to sort some stuff out too. They definitely do. And to be clear, with the amount of points that's that sort of sixty three point lead that ha- that Verstappen now has, well, Verstappen now can come second in, in over the next seven races and still be in the lead. The only way I think personally that Max is going to lose this one is if he gets some DNFs. And to be clear, that's not unlikely. We are in a weird season. Um, and last year, we know how strong the comeback can be from uh, from the driver behind. But certainly, I, I get this funny feeling that, that Ferrari isn't helping itself. And this was perhaps most evident in the race for, for Carlos Sainz. He was driver of the day this week, and I think rather fittingly as well, voted by you, the people. Carlos Sainz's weekend started off, well, okay. He didn't set the world alight, but we knew he was never going to because he was taking a full engine change back and so would start on Sunday at the back of the grid. Sunday came along and Carlos Sainz, I think has one of the best drives. He started on the hard tyre, which gave him a longevity advantage. But unfortunately, as much as Carlos Sainz was making his way through the pack, Ferrari would have other ideas concerning his ability to, to well, to come in the top five, top four, top three, and even take the win um, with a with a safety car um, in, in during the race. Carlos Sainz was given an unsafe release, giving him a five-second penalty, which meant that he had to pull a five-second lead out from the car behind in order to retain the place. Now, Carlos Sainz being on on medium tyres after after his pit stop 
meant that he had a pace advantage over the rest of the the rest of the field. But alas, his tyres weren't going to last as long. So this left Ferrari in a very difficult situation. With on by lap forty two out of fifty three, Carlos Sainz's tyres were starting to get very very old, and it was during an overtake on on Sergio Perez for third place that Ferrari started saying to him, come in, come in and pit, come in and pit. Um, which he eventually then did a lap later, dropping him right back down to ninth place. So Mr. Carlos Sainz went from 20th to third before going back down to ninth and then finally making his way back through the pack in the last 10 laps to take fifth overall, which I think we can all say it was absolutely amazing um what just one of the one of the best drives i think we've seen from him um all year but angus again is this was this ferrari making the best out of the out of a bad situation for science and were they right to pit him with only 10 laps left on medium tires that were faster than anyone else you know what i sort of i get the argument why people are saying that he shouldn't have pitted because if you if you look at the facts it was and it wasn't helped by the safety car coming out earlier and also the fact that the field usually or not usually but sometimes can get really strung out so that if he'd made a pit stop for example the alpine of alonso who was the 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 highest up non-top three car he would have been about probably a pit stop but pit stop behind but the combination of the cars not being strung out as much and also the fact that the pit lane time at Paul Ricard was so long; it was like thirty seconds. Um, and don't forget, he had this, he had this penalty as well for the unsafe release. So, because of that, based on that, you'd probably look at it and think, "Well, hang on, is is pitting the right decision?" At the same time, there was an image on about lap forty, a replay of his his tyres. It was his, and it was his front right or front left. I can't remember which one. Maybe it was both. Severe, like blistering, really blistering. So, and for those those of you who are maybe newer F1 fans, what is blistering is, is when the tyre um, starts to wear away so much that the inside rim of the tyre basically starts to crumble away and leaves a big mark or a big line that looks like like looks like a cut in the tyre that suggests you know that a punch might be able to, might be about to happen or be able to happen. So, Ferrari have looked at those medium tyres, which are the quicker tyre but also the less durable, and they've thought well. If he's doing two thirds of the race distance on that, then surely at some point they're going to, you know, they're going to drop off and they're going to possibly puncture. And they're in their head, they must have thought, well, zero points from a puncture is worse than, say, ten points for dropping down to ninth and getting back up to fifth, as he did. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I think Ferrari got a bit too much. I, I, I say that earlier. I gave him a bit, a bit of, um, <laughs> gave him a bit of stick for it, but. They got. I think some stick is deserved because they, the stuff like you know communicating within mid corner, like that's just that's not ideal at all. Um, but I think they were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because if it's, if they if he stays out on these less durable tires and he gets a puncture and he gets no points, everyone's going to go, oh Ferrari, they're useless. Well, did they not see that it was going to puncture? Yeah. But because he's pitted. And gone on to new tyres, and he's lost a couple of positions. They've gone, oh, Ferrari, what have they done? Like They've lost positions. I think, like, in an ideal world for Ferrari, 
the safety car, I mean, this is very ideal world because the safety car was caused by their other driver <laughs> crashing. Yes. But the the yeah but the the safety car the safety car coming out kind of forced their hand because if they don't pit during the safety car yeah they get track position but they then have when they pit again the field will all be compressed and together again and he could be and his pit stop maybe takes him down to 13th 14th or whatever so and he'd already made good ground he was up to like eighth or ninth he'd like progress in like 18 laps he'd really flown through the field so i can see why you know they they did it but it kind of the luck didn't fall their way massively, but with Ferrari the way it is, they're going to get stick whatever they do at the at the end of the day. Um, especially if science didn't sound best pleased with what was going on on the radio. But I think, yeah, they made the best of the bad situation I get. But they'll just be kicking themselves that they've had the weekend that they had. Admittedly, Matteo Bonotto, team principal. Sounding very optimistic, he was putting a brave face on things. I guess you have to do that when you're facing the media, but yeah, it's. I don't think it was much of a strategy bungle as maybe people thought, but yeah, it didn't look. It didn't. The aesthetics weren't great, and you know, in this, in this day and age, aesthetics matters as much as anything, apparently. So we'll just go with that, I guess. Yeah, I, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I thought it was a little bit weird, actually, when we were, especially live, listening to the commentary, <laughs> how. Everyone was, I say everyone, the commentators were very, very quick to openly criticise Ferrari for what I think was banking points. Look, your second mm. driver starts in 20th and has made their way up to the third place. And yes, you know you're going to have a five-second penalty at the end of it. On tyres that you don't know that can last the, the to the end... If if Carlos Sainz had gone to the end of the race on those tyres, those medium tyres, he would have gone further than others had gone on medium tyres before. So that's that's a grey area. And what I think Ferrari did was make the very sensible call, which is, we think we can get Carlos Sainz out on some new medium tyres, which will go to the end of the race and be faster than everyone else's hard tyres. We think he can make his way back through the pack. Yes, he won't be on the podium, but to be honest, you don't always have to go for the ultimate glory. If you go back to when we were talking about Mick Schumacher and how he wasn't able to get points earlier in the season, one of the things we said then was we wanted Schumacher to get maybe 11th place, then 10th place, and then and then he can start thinking about being a bit braver. But the point is you need to bank success. And to be honest, Angus, you've you've hit the nail on the head there. If it all went wrong for Ferrari and they had two retirements or, you know, let's say Sainz had a tyre blowout and he went all the way back in the pack and got no points, then we'd be sitting here saying, oh, Ferrari, they don't understand how to, you know, be a successful team. How could they lose those incredibly valuable points that they're going to need for for the constructors given that the other driver's out of the race as well? And and we can't say that's you know we can't say our other stuff in good faith that drivers and teams need to really make sure they're banking good points and being consistent without being ourselves consistent because we would be hypocritical if we said that Ferrari made the wrong choice here. Personally, I think they made the right choice here. Now they didn't make the right choice in releasing Carlos Sainz. Let's be clear about that into you know uh, into the the Williams of Nicholas Latifi, I believe. Um, 
forcing him to slam on the brakes in the pit lane, right? That was bad. But after that, it's damage limitation. And I think Ferrari did a good job on the damage limitation at the end of that. Carlos Sainz as well. One of the best drives I've seen from him. Absolutely Mm, stunning. Brilliant speed. In fact, we're not even going to be able to cover this in, in this episode. But the other one I have to say is Kevin Magnussen at the beginning of the first lap covered seven cars in the first lap. Caught up and overtook his teammate as well. Um, which, again, another fantastic drive. But Carlos Sainz, absolutely brilliant drive. Dem- definitely showed what what he could do. In fact, our prediction on the, uh, the group chat before we started was either Carlos Sainz was going to be in the top five, I think I said, which he was, or he was going to mm-hmm. crash out early because he was going to be pushing as hard as he could. And, yep. you know, to be honest, if I said Angus, which which driver looked like the one that could challenge for the world championship this weekend, which one would you have picked? Out of the two Ferrari drivers? Yeah. Well, mate, Sainz was on it. I mean, I, it's such yeah. a shame that... I mean, talk about things in life being a cycle. The fact, the reason why this weekend turned out because it, the way it did was because he had, what, that failure in Baku and then later on down the line that failure in Austria, which then led to the engine penalties. Made it such a shame because he was rapid. Like, it was at Q2 where he's... He's gone out on the softs and he set a lap like a full nine tenths to one second quicker than everyone else. Like, yes, if, if he, this was a weekend where, it, but for that, he was probably slam dunk for the win. Honestly, he was just he was. on one. Absolutely, and I think he looked like the world championship driver this weekend. I mean, I mean to be honest, the red the Red Bull team, yeah, Max won because he brought it home, obviously, but they just weren't as fast as as Ferrari and. It's such a shame because, you know, harking back right to the beginning of this segment when Angus, you said you think the pendulum is in their side. Yeah, I think they are. I think it is. But it seems to be Ferrari just, they've got the momentum. They just, they keep pointing it in the wrong direction. Going on now from Ferrari. Thank you for sticking with us this long. It's taken us quite a while <laughs> to go through both drivers. It was uh, definitely a weekend where Ferrari's been the hot topic. But we can't forget everyone else that also took part in this particular Grand Prix. Especially the two drivers that came in second and third. Pat on the back for F1 in review, I think. Because last week we said that we thought that Mercedes would do quite well here. And turns out they did. Second and third. First double podium this year. And it has not come soon enough. It was really, really good to see both Lewis Hamilton and George Russell on the on the well on the podium. Um a completion of I think a, an ambition of Russell's, I think, to be standing alongside Lewis Hamilton. Um and what a better place to do it really, because it was a fantastic drive for Russell. A last-minute, well, virtual safety car-induced strategy play from Russell allowed him to dive down past Perez and take the lead with only two laps before before the end. So, you know, Russell really left it to the last minute, but he did, in fact, get that third place. Um, we won't have time to discuss whether or what went wrong for, for Perez and whether or not it was right and stuff like that. You can go to Twitter for that particular argument where I believe it's starting to get even more angry than it was yesterday, if it can <clears throat> possibly get that bad. Um, so, Mercedes, yes, 
they're looking like they're getting stronger, getting faster. Their strategy seems to be better. And Toto Wolf is now on the radio with a with just a little bit of, of joy back in his voice. Nothing like 2015 to 2021. Um, that's the, well, not the end, obviously. Um, but I think Toto Wolf is no longer breaking his Bose headphones and pulling out his hair and rather <laughs> sipping some more champagne and... Uh, Yes, it's a bit more relaxed there, the Mercedes, as they're starting to iron out the particularly crinkles in their car. So, Angus, is Mercedes back on form now? Was this just a track which we thought that would favour Mercedes? Or are Mercedes now entering into the into the race? Perhaps not for the win this year, but for the long term, could this be a three-horse race? Oh, my lads, pour cold water on the Mercedes fire. I mean, I just, I get the, if we look at the results, it's really, really good. Really, really good for them. I mean, first double podium this year, which is mad to say that for Mercedes of all teams. But in terms of the comparison with the rest of the year, yeah, they've had podiums for sure. They've had lots of, and I'm looking at the the graphic here on Wikipedia, there's lots of lots of third places um, for both drivers. But to get second and third on a weekend where... I think the encouraging signs are one, they one Hamilton overtook Perez at the start and kept him after an initial period where Perez was all over him. He managed to keep him behind, and I admit Paul Ricard's a difficult track to overtake, overtake at, but he kept him behind and he really sort of managed to hold him off really, really well, um, which we didn't expect, especially after practice where Mercedes rocked up a full second slower than anyone else. So then they were like, well. What what on earth is that about? I didn't expect we didn't expect that. Um, they really expected Paul Ricard to be a track they were strong at. They brought a couple of upgrades, as we discussed last week. Smooth surface, long straights, rather than um, rather than like too many and not as many slower corners as some other tracks. So we were of the opinion that you know, looking up, there was some some high hopes for them. Um, also, the fact that. George Russell managed to get ahead of Perez, stick with Perez throughout the whole race. I know Perez had a bit, by his by his high standards, a bit of a stinker of a weekend. He was a bit off the pace all weekend, and he didn't do too great of a job. Mm. But Russell still managed to get past him at the end with that little, uh, very tactically aware, um, all that tactical awareness that you that those racing drivers, those great racing drivers possess. So there were lots of positive signs for them, I thought, and. It's given them hope that it's almost the hope that on on like a day, and this may be what their season comes down to. But on a day where Red Bull and Ferrari have a poor one, yeah. Mercedes need to be there to take advantage. They need to be. We think of those races a bit like a, a well, ironically, with Hungary coming up, a bit like a Hungary last year, where both Red Bulls were taking out the equation, both Mercs were, take, were taking out the equation, and yet Esteban Ocon and Sebastian Vettel swoop in and take the. Uh, take the lead for most of that race you almost need a race where red bull and ferrari have a poor one or mitigating circumstances like collisions or mechanical failures intervene and ross and hamilton would be there just to sweep through and take advantage um i still believe they can they can win this year at the moment can they win on pace alone i still i'm not convinced simply because they i mean they thought this track they'd be really strong at especially in qualifying trim and it didn't work out i think there are again there are tracks further down the line which would hold more promise for them i'm looking at spa at the moment i think smooth like smoother track surface 
long straights. I can't think of other than the the final corner and the the first corner hairpin. There's hardly a single slow corner at Spa, and we think how well they went at Silverstone, which was a track with lots of fast swe- sweeping corners. I think they're looking yeah. towards that perhaps as a beneficial one. I think in the me- immediate future, Hungary could be a bad one for them. It's a very slow track. I don't. I think they're going to struggle there. Um, even if Hamilton has, I think a some, I want to say eight or nine wins at the Hungara Ring, which is yeah. like one of the most the most wins by a driver at any F1 circuit ever, possibly. So he has history there, and it is one of his his um, stomping grounds. But I did. I think it's it's positive signs for sure. But you then have to bear in mind, I guess, as well that Leclerc wasn't there to take advantage. Science came from the back of the grid, so maybe I think it's it's progress but for their high standards not enough progress but I think can I see them winning by the end of the season yes may it take some like external factor when I say external factor that makes it sound like you know aliens or something would have to intervene but <laughs> it's not going to be that but would that could they win like with that. like yeah yeah possibly but could they win with something happening going on the background yeah I reckon so but on pace at the moment not necessarily but this weekend was promising mm. still it was promising, and yes, okay, for the Mercedes fans out there, sorry that we are <laughs> pouring cold water into your your flamey weekend, and it was certainly one to remember. Um, don't worry, I've been there. I still look back at Monza last year when glorious McLaren managed to take the win, um, so you know that there, there might this might be your your moment of magic for this year but what a moment of magic it was definitely mercedes is certainly picking up the pace let's 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 go with that from a team that at the very beginning well were porpoising down the down the track and keeping up with alfa romeo they have certainly come a long way. And to be clear, that's probably also because of the drivers. Mercedes have got two fantastic drivers. I mean, fantastic is probably the wrong word for, for Lewis Hamilton. Some A driver that some of you will call the greatest of all time, but we're not going to go into that debate particularly here. But let's face it, they've got two... Well, one incredible driver, one of the greatest of all time, and George Russell, an up-and-coming fantastic driver as well. A driver that I'm sure will go on to some great successes both of drivers are pulling great times out the car and we did think this would be a track that would favor mercedes this weekend with long sweeping corners and you know a few long uh straights here and there mercedes was certainly in their element but i do get the feeling and I, i i ask this question should mercedes have come second and third this weekend and before i pass it over to angus because i like the sound of my own voice i'm gonna give my two pennies on this particular (laughs) one i don't think they should have come second and third this weekend not really if you if you consider everything else the fact is mercedes i think got second and third this weekend because everything went wrong for everyone else Sergio Perez was in third place, let's not forget, until the virtual safety car um, double message caught him, well, unawares. And George Russell was able to take advantage of that. Carlos Sainz had to have an engine change 
which means he had to start at the back of the grid. I have a funny feeling Carlos Sainz was faster than both Mercedes if he was at the front. And then let's also not forget that Charles Leclerc crashed out of the race himself, leaving first place over to, to Verstappen. So all things being normal, I think Mercedes is certainly most comfortable in the fifth and sixth place with the first two rows of the grid being given over to Red Bull versus Ferrari. And yes, I know what you're going to say. You say, oh, but Tristan, you always say that you make your own luck and that this is the most important time. And you're absolutely right, Greg. This is the most important time. When everyone else is going wrong, you need to be fantastically consistent. However, it's important to mention that you can't take a a race like this and apply it in general to the entirety of the of the season. This was a a moment in which someone like Ocon for example wins a race or Pierre Gasly wins a race. You know, those are a few standout moments throughout a season where something something happens, the cards fall in the right way that allows you to get something fantastic. Let's face it, if, if Verstappen's engine had gone, if his tyres had gone, then Lewis Hamilton would have won. Right? They were only one place away from, from a victory. I mean, Russell nearly smashed it into Sergio Perez, taking both of them out. And that, that fight had me on edge a little bit. So... In my opinion, Mercedes fans, enjoy it. Lap it up. Take solace knowing that Mercedes is getting faster, that their porpoising issues are, are you know, are slowly getting eroded away. And, and with it, a car that is drivable without breaking the back of their seven-time world championship driver. But also, don't get overly excited would you say Angus because it's not necessarily reflective of their overall performance I still think they're fifth and sixth yeah I think you're right there I think even Hamilton himself admitted I think the way he phrased it was Red Bull and Ferrari are just way ahead at the moment this year or he said like two teams have produced phenomenal cars and they are third best and it's not like they're they're not they're not gasping for air they are comfortably third best they've got three times the amount of points that Alpine have even if sometimes they have races where they maybe slip back into that Alpine McLaren battle and like you said at the start of the season they were kind of around about where Alfa Romeo were on pace but I think that yeah fifth and sixth is their current like hunting ground it's where it's that they're there almost to take advantage of opportunities that might fall their way I think it's being made to look better this year by the fact that there have been a lot, this is possibly something to discuss further down the line, there have been a lot more reliability-based retirements this year with the new cars. And sort of like last year you'd see maybe one, two retirements a race tops, but this year lots of races producing. I mean, this race, Paul Ricard, only 15 of the 20 cars finished, and that's becoming more of a regular theme. So like, I think that's a factor, but... At the moment, yeah, I, I agree. They're, they are the third fastest team and they are there to take advantage of, of opportunities that come their way. And yeah, until until they get more pace or until they take advantage of something, they're not going to be progressively and consistently up there. Um, and it's almost at the point of the season where you get to this stage and you're like, right, what stage do we focus on the next season and maximising that uh 
that potential, just like Ferrari, by the way, this time last year, and despite we joke about their pit stop troubles and all everything, they produced a flipping fast car. So they turned away their attention halfway through last year to this year. So at some point, do Mercedes consider that? But yeah, the moment, third fastest team still, without a doubt. When do you think they will move on to, to prioritising next year's car? Where where in, in, I suppose, the second half after the, after the season? Sorry, no, let's not say those words. <sighs> <laughs> Uh, hold on, I need to just pause it for like 10 seconds. Where in the second half of the season does Toto Wolf call it a day? Toto Wolf, by the way, is just sitting from the sidelines uh, um, commentating on, on Christian Horner. I don't know if you saw that he said um, that Christian Horner must be getting rather bored at the front um, <laughs> given... Uh, given Red Bull's current performance. Um, but where do you think Mercedes draw the line? I guess, to be honest, you can make an argument, you can make an argument and say they draw the line now, some would say. Um, because the thing is now, though, I mean, they're only 44 points behind Ferrari. Because Ferrari continues to shoot themselves in the foot in some ways, they're closing up on Ferrari. So some would say that second place is there for the taking in the constructors. I disagree because I think mitigating factors, like I've said, have meant that gap was closed. But like maybe if maybe if you get a couple of races after the summer break, Belgium, Holland, and maybe after that you go, well, we're still third fastest team. We'll, uh, we'll focus on the next one. But to be honest, knowing a team with Mercedes resources... I know there's a budget cap, but still, with their resources, arguably they're probably focusing on 2023 already. That's probably in the pipeline, as any good, as any team with good preparation would do anyway. But um, yeah, it's almost getting to that stage where they might have to forget 2022 existed. You know, move on. Don't live in the past. All those, all those lovely cliches. You know. <laughs> yes, and we we like bringing them up um, because you know they they do key us into into the future. I think, and especially right now, we know it can take a team forward quite considerably if you refocus your resources in a, in an efficient manner. Haas, for example, has demonstrated wonderfully what it means to basically throw a season away in, in Haas's case um, and to prioritize next year. So perhaps Mercedes in a weird turn of fate, will take a leaf out of Hass's book. Let's go with that. And uh, prioritise next year so that their seven-time world championship champion or even George Russell might well take their first win. But another team that's been, I suppose, been moving up the, the field since the beginning of the year is McLaren, a team that, I was incredibly disappointed with the very, very beginning uh, because of their, well, dog of a car, a car that was in last position. Um, it's a, and, a, and a car that's now sort of taking seventh and ninth place. McLaren brought the most upgrades to France, uh, the French Grand Prix, this, this weekend. And it seems to have paid, well, paid some dividends for them. What do we think of McLaren's current performance? Slow and steady or again just able to capitalise on the woes of everyone else around them? I think the upgrade has helped. Um, definitely they brought this weekend. Has it helped Daniel has it helped Daniel Ricardo be not slow? <laughs> Jury's out on that one. Sorry, Daniel. Um but it's 
I think it's helped them because they have closed up. To, I feel like they closed up to Mercedes this weekend, especially in qualifying. I thought Lando Norris's lap to get in between the Mercedes, absolute stonker, by the way. Yeah. What a lap. Um, doesn't get talked enough about perhaps how good he is, but I think he's like stick him in a Mercedes when Hamilton retires, and you got Russell and Norris in Mercedes, and that is a hell of a lineup. Yeah. But yeah, they br- they bring that upgrade. And they go they go quicker, and yet they score fewer points than Alpine across the weekend. It's an interesting one. Um, I think a lot of that is down to Fernando Alonso having a, a brilliant start and managing to to hold the fort in sixth place. I loved his radio message where Alonso was like, um, his engineer was like, oh, Norris is just one and a half seconds behind or something like that. And Alonso goes, yeah, I want to be closer. I want to kill his tires. Um, brilliant, brilliant radio message. Of wily, wily old man. Still, I mean, the fact he's still performing at this level at forty, and he's forty-one on Friday is like crazy. But, but yeah, back to McLaren. They, yeah, they've they've they have closed the gap. It seems to Mercedes. Not that that's their aim. I think at the moment their aim is fully to focus on beating Alpine. Yes. But yeah, weird weekend where they had an upgrade, looked faster, yet came away with less points and. Whether that bodes well for the future, I don't know, because it shows that Alpine perhaps made the most out of their weekend, even if they had a more of an off weekend. It'll be interesting to see how that works going forward. But I think that with McLaren, as long as they got, I said it already, as long as they got Norris, they got a great chance. I think he's just very consistent. He brings home the points regularly. Um, they just need Mr. Ricardo to step up a bit more and show his worth, because we've said it before. He's very good. He's shown in the past, but it's been a year and a half now, and he's still oh, he's still lacking. He's still not stepping up massively. He's got 19 points this year, and Lando Norris has 70. Like that is a huge gap. Norris yeah. has almost what what's that? Four times the amount of points. That's a massive gap. Um, so imagine if they had two drivers who were performing at that level, they'd be streets ahead for for fourth place. Um, but yeah, interesting one with McLaren because, like, like I said, their upgrade improved them. But when only one of their drivers is d- producing the goods, doesn't help as much, does it? No, it doesn't. And I mean, by the rumours that are circulating around the paddock about Ricardo's potential uh, replacement, I think next year McLaren might well be bringing one Formula One car and one London bus to uh, each each race given the amount of potential drivers um, that they might have uh, going into the 2023 season. Although Ricardo and McLaren has said over and over again that it will be Ricardo racing for them next year. But if if other teams, <clears throat> Red Bull, are uh, anything to go by, those are just words. And remember, contracts can be broken if you have the right lawyers and a lot of money, both of which McLaren certainly do. This weekend was a very interesting weekend because I feel like it was two halves McLaren. On one hand, you absolutely did have an amazing qualifying performance from Lando Norris. He he got a 132.032 um, in qualifying in Q3. I know that's just a number, but that means he was only 2.4 tenths of a second off Lewis Hamilton for P4. And he beat out George Russell in the other Mercedes by a good tenth of a second as well. He beat a Mercedes by a tenth of a second. That's very, very good. Worryingly, he was <laughs> two seconds. You know, one point. It was one point two seconds um, off of the off of the lead, which just 
demonstrates how fast that Ferrari is and, and Charles Leclerc's absolute speed around this track. I mean, that was a nuts lap from Charles Leclerc. And I don't think we've mentioned that just yet. So on one hand, we had this fantastic qualifying performance from Lando Norris, which um, unfortunately wasn't necessarily matched all that well by Daniel Ricciardo, who could only match, you're going to get 11th. And then going into the race, I feel like this is where Ricardo comes back a bit because he seems to actually be able to have the race pace to help, well, the rest of the rest of the team. Um, but is it enough? Is it enough that that Lando Norris gets the the key points, as you say, Angus, four times the points um, of of Daniel Ricardo, and then Daniel Ricardo has to sort of hoover up uh, the rest. Um, especially when we, we've got this Alpine versus McLaren battle. Alpine is now ahead of McLaren by four points. It's very, very tight. So if you're McLaren, are you going to get rid of Daniel Ricciardo? That's the question now. Are they bringing these upgrades? They seem to have a qualifying pace. And yes, the race didn't go quite so so well. Certainly Alonso is a formidable um, opponent hard to get past Lewis Hamilton this week called um, Fernando Alonso his greatest opponent which is one hell of an accolade and I'm sure Nico Rosberg took great offense to that um, <laughs> yeah you know he's seething um, <laughs> um, but Alonso aside is it time that we that Ricardo was given the boot in a word yes I think that in my opinion, I was thinking about this earlier. You know how McLaren have signed like all these young IndyCar drivers as well yeah. to like different contracts. So Pato Award and Alex Pillow is one they signed recently. I think Lando Norris has been in the sport. It'll have been four years at the end of this year. Give him the team leadership role. I think he's ready for it. He's proved he's proved himself more than worthy of competing against Carlos Sainz, one of the best drivers in Formula One right now. And he's also convincingly beaten beating Daniel Ricciardo, who previously was one of the best drivers in F1. Give Lando Norris a team-leading role and blood one of these young IndyCar drivers who are clearly very good in their other discipline and see how they get on in F1. I think that's a plan because right at the moment, they're losing out to an Alpine team who have Esteban Ocon racing at a very high level, Fernando Alonso racing at an even higher level and only just starting to get luck come his way. So when he gets that luck, they could go off in the distance away from McLaren. So... Like you said, they've got enough money and the lawyers to get rid of him. So I would, to be honest. Fresh start. And so ends episode 22 of F1 in Review. Thank you so much for getting to this point in the podcast. If you stuck with us all the way to the end. If you are enjoying the season so far, please, please rate our podcast and share it as well. That would be doing us a fantastic favour. Now, going into this weekend, we do have another race. Yes, it is race week. Thank goodness for that. The last race before the summer break. You can catch qualifying at 3pm on the Saturday. And the race itself will be at 2pm. Fingers crossed that Hungary is as good as it was last year. And if you're bored and you haven't seen last year's race, go watch that. Get yourself prepared for what could be. Uh, because Hungary does have, well, the opportunity to show up some excellent racing right there. Now, you can, of course, follow F1 in Review on Twitter. 
that is at F1 in review, as well as myself or Tom Claiborne as well, if you fancy seeing what we're doing individually. Tom will be back with us next week, so if you've missed him, don't worry. The sweet sound of Tom's voice will be broadcast over the airways this time next week for your listening pleasure. But until then, thank you so much for listening to F1 in review. We will speak to you next time. 